welcome back from replay after falling like this. I don't believe it. David Beckham scores the goal to take England all the way to the World Cup finals. Frank Lampard! Oh, that out! Frank Lampard blasts Chelsea into the lead. It's Shira for Newcastle! Alan Shira in front of the Gallagher! It is speed! It's 1 0! Frank Lampard's goal! What about that? What about that? Gerard Hardy scores! Oh, did he level that? That's fine, he can finish it here! Hello and welcome to another segment of Action Replay Extra Time, the football show. I'm joined in studio by sports editor of Oxygen.ie, Osh McCairns, and punter and journalist Jack O'Toole. Jack, how's it going? Very well, Ender. Thanks for having me on. Oshin? I'm fine, thanks, Ender. So, we'll start off with the English Football League during the week. That's that's where most of the football took place this week. Starting with Leeds versus Liverpool. A clash of the Titans or a clash of former Titans, oh. depending on how you, how you look at it. Yeah. If you're looking at recent success, they're kind of they're kind of equal. So we'll we'll start off with that. Oshin, you're a big Leeds fan. Mm-hmm. How do, how did things go? Yeah, really a lot to take away here. Um, superb performance from Leeds against a, a much much better team. Um, in truth, we had probably the better of the play. We had a lot more chances. Kimar Rufi hit the post early in the second half. Heidi Sacco had a good chance early on. We just couldn't beat the keeper. But um, yeah, I thought we played really well here. I think if on another day we take our chances there, maybe if we start Chris Wood, I mean, Sacco was not great with the finishing. Rufi was unlucky. So I think on another day, maybe we could have stole something here from Anfield. Yeah, like the the first half was the first half was very tight in my opinion. Mm. Leeds really put it up to Liverpool. But uh, <coughs> do, do you not think the fact that Liverpool had a second team on? that Leeds really should have pushed on from that I, it's still I mean they still had a lot of good players I mean you look at Origi Mane Wijnaldum yeah Wijnaldum Clavan uh, Mignolet in goal I mean it's still a, a far better side than what we we would have I mean we didn't play in fairness to us we rested a few players as well but it's still a far better side than what our, our strongest starting eleven would be so I was expecting all I really wanted was us to give them a game and as we got into kind of 70, 70 minutes or so, I was thinking, well, maybe we could snatch this one here. But it, all in all, the Villa game on Sunday is a far more important match. Um, we kind of got out of there. We got we picked up a couple of injuries, though, which I'd worry about. Uh, Cooper came off. Uh, Ian O'Kane came off. Two, two players who have been really super for us this season. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely happy with how we performed. In truth, disappointed not to get something out of the game at the end. But their quality came true. I mean, Alexander-Arnold's cross for Divock Origi was fantastic. Uh, Woodburn, it was only... I mean, they were lining up to score that goal. So it's just it, just a bit of class kind of came true in the end. But as I said, yeah, many, many great things to take away uh, from a Leeds perspective. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned a few Liverpool players that they had on. They still had a world-class team on. We'll get to that a bit later on. But uh, Leeds also didn't didn't start their usual lineup. And no. I, I think that's a credit to what Gary Monk has done at Leeds this year is... He he was still able to put out a side that was able to put it up to Liverpool. Yeah, still a very good side. I mean, um, you look at in, in in truth, we probably rested. We rested our main striker, who was Chris Wood. Then again, Janssen didn't play as well. He picked up a slight knock. Um, we had our actually we had our second choice keeper, second choice right back. So yeah, we have a we, he's really developed a good squad there um, at Ellen Road, a squad that can put it up to anyone on their day, as as they proved last night. But as I said, it's definitely the league that we need to focus on now. Uh, Monk has his priorities in check. He knows that there's important players there that he can't really afford to miss. Chris Wood cannot be. Aff- we cannot afford to to lose Chris Wood for for uh, any extended period of time. Same with uh, even Rob Green. 
same with him we can't really afford to lose him for an extended period of time so yeah it was it was a smart smart play for Monk to kind of rest a, a few guys and it still almost turned out to to be a to be a right the right decision yeah, yeah. absolutely I, I definitely think it is because you got to consider like Leeds obviously in fifth place um, they're probably it's a lot of wins and a lot of losses um, mm. not a lot of draws no. I think the other I think Reading Reading, Birmingham, Brighton, and Newcastle, all less than four losses, leads with seven. So yeah. they really need to concentrate on getting into that top six. Because as we know, like in the championship, the, the discrepancy between the, the money in the championship and the Premier League, like Leeds has been on a mission for what? Over a decade yeah, now to try and get back time. to the Premier League. So if they are, and we've seen they've made the playoffs a couple of times and it hasn't quite gone well for them, um, as I'm sure Oshin knows mm-hmm. all too well. Many heartbreaks. Yeah, yeah, many heartbreaks. Where for Liverpool, I think it's, Obviously, given that League Cup final loss last year to Manchester City, it's definitely I think Klopp just to win that first trophy. You know, I think I think there was a bit of a blown opportunity because yeah. didn't they didn't they beat City, they they tore City up a couple of days later after mm, the League Cup yeah. final at home, um, which Liverpool have had a habit of doing is losing big games in, yeah. in in competitions and finals and then beating them in a somewhat meaningless game. You could in the league. you could argue that it was a risk from Klopp to kind of start. I mean, I know he's done it in the rounds previous, but now we're really getting into the business end. Yeah, and no matter which way you look at it Leeds are tricky they're going to give you a tricky game so to rest like a lot of the, the strong players and to bring guys like Arnold um, Ajari uh, players like that in mm. in, in a trophy that Klopp now has a really really good chance of winning yeah. you could look at it, look at that as a risk from Klopp yeah. for the game that's what I was kind of thinking I thought he'd really go a full strength just to make sure that kind of we'd blow these guys away and they'd give us no trouble going into the next round Yeah, but he didn't really go with that well I, I saw a piece Last week, and and it was it was basically in jumping to the defence of Jose Mourinho, saying that uh, Pep Guardiola hasn't hasn't won a trophy at United yet or at City yet. Klopp hasn't won a trophy at Liverpool yet, but and M- Mourinho's last trophy in the, in the Premier League was eighteen months ago. Um, but in saying that, it's an, it's not entirely truthful because at the end at the end of this season, one of them will have at least yeah. one trophy. Uh, but they, what they argued was that at the end of the season, all these all these coaches like Conte, Klopp, Pochettino, at least three out of the four managers that have been pegged as the best managers in the world at the minute will not have a trophy at the end of this year, will mm. not have a league trophy at the end of this year, which was, in 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 the short term, it is is, is a fair argument. Yeah. But in the other term, it's it's pretty much their first or second season in mm. the league, so you have to give them time. But Klopp, Klopp needs a trophy at Liverpool at, to get the ball rolling oh, yeah, so it I was I, I, I believe it was. it was a risk starting the younger players and it was one that paid off but it, it was a risky business they should be concentrating on the league well they should be and, and they're very much in the hunt this year for the league and I think um, one of the big things coming into the season was oh, how we're going to look under Klopp's full season it was you know it's it's played to death during the mm. off season because there's nothing else to talk about yeah. after the Euros you know um, but they have really been look spectacular and especially I think there was all this, you know, if they can buy the club system, if they have the fitness ready, and they really have. Like, yeah. it's, it was a lot of conjecture about it, but they really actually mm-hmm. have, and they've bought into it, and they've been tearing the league up. 32 goals so far. I think it's the highest of any Premier League team. Um, but in saying that, with the whole thing about 
I suppose you're saying one of the one of these top managers in the world, they're not going to win this league trophy. What we've seen with Arsene Wenger over the years is by winning the FA Cup and other trophies on the way, it's kind of buying yourself time. Yourself time. Yeah. yeah. So while I do think there's huge emphasis on winning the league, and especially for Liverpool fans, like you don't need to tell them, um, it's the one trophy that's eluded them for so long. But in the fact that if they do win the League Cup, it can kind of buy you a bit of time, especially mm. with the graces of the fans. Not that at this stage Klopp really doesn't need. Yeah. I mean, he's got, he's probably. You'd have to say probably the most, maybe him and Conte are the most probably secure jobs in their clubs at the moment in the Premier League. I'd imagine so. At the minute, I would yeah. I would say so because they've just they've transformed squads that weren't performing the year before into into a squad that are now top top of the Premier League. And I mean, you have to give them credit for what they've done. But um, a manager that has come come under extreme scrutiny is former Chelsea boss Jose Mourinho. His United side beat West Ham four one last night and. To be truthful, they looked very impressive compared to their performances uh, earlier on the season in the league and even the one earlier on the week uh, against West Ham. Uh, what do you think is actually going wrong at United this year? I, I have many issues with this, what you were talking about here. I think, why does Mourinho not start that, that team against West Ham in the league? I, I, I don't really understand. Like I understand that we were talking about the importance of a league cup but United really need to get their act together in the league. I mean, at least with Liverpool, you're kind of your top two, so that like you know what I mean. It's it's like they can focus on the League Cup, but they're doing quite well in the league as well, so you can kind of afford to do it. In terms of United, they're so struggling in the league that they just need to focus on the league. Mm. I wouldn't, I would, like focus on getting top four. I would not be too focused on the cup. And Marino puts out a team like I mean, Carrick, Mkhitaryan played out of his skin last night. Mm. Like, it, it just it doesn't really. I mean, you got Lingard playing against West Ham. Lingard's not good enough for me. I, I, I've I've never really rated him too highly. I've always thought he was kind of a flashes of brilliance yeah, over, overmasked by like just yeah. defense, a real defensive liability and, and mm, just someone oh yeah, that's just, wildly inconsistent. Just kind of very mid-table player. And he's getting he's starting ahead of uh, Mkhitaryan like in in the in the in the league. I mean, it's just I, I don't understand how Mourinho's where Mourinho's coming from. Well, and with the exception of Mata, uh, that was essentially the same side that Mourinho put out against Feyenoord yeah. in the Europa League. And they and, blew them away. And they, they blew them away. They blew them off the pitch. And it was the same again last night. Uh, Mkhitaryan, like you said, played out of skin. Carrick every time Carrick starts, yeah, United by win. Far their best midfield. And even Rooney has looked. It looked a different player when Mkhitaryan and Carrick are playing with mm. him so it's just it's a really sticky situation Mourinho has and he came out he came out last night after the win and he said that uh, he has so many players in the squad now that it's hard for him to play them all but you have well, to wonder he's doing he's giving it a good crack <laughs> you have to question does, does that mean Mourinho doesn't know his best 11 yeah which it, going off the results this year I don't think he does because he seemed to be chopping and changing if even if the side pulls out a good performance, pulls out a good win, he yeah, seems to change the squad. Some, it goes just against all your, you know, your your basic logic, like the the, the stuff that you think about football. And obviously, yeah. like we're not like Jose Mourinho. Looking at his track record, you can't argue against like his tactics. Tactics, you know what I mean? Like because he's he's proven it so many times. And he's done this at Chelsea as well, where he mm. just rotates. But it is it does like it's hard to comprehend sometimes when he does, it, especially mm. like Feyenoord. Like it's the best they've played yeah, in like, weeks. You know, absolutely ripped them apart. He's done. He, Rain Rooney all of a sudden comes out of his shell, like just completely yeah. looks like somewhat shades of the old Rain Rooney. Not back to obviously what we've known him from his peak from years gone by, but he's he's 
looked like a much different player to what we've seen the last couple of weeks and you've got guys like him and McIntyre perform well and then all of a sudden drop for the weekend mm. one all and then yeah. now back in and it's then it's going to be like what's going to happen like this weekend you know it's, is, is he going to go back and just he'll just throw Lingard back yeah. in and yeah, Rashford's like going to go it's, on the wing it's and like it's they're like, playing with fear kind of in the league it's like Mourinho's kind of scared to change it Yeah. in a sense like Lingard is kind of the safe option yeah. I think like I mean he's never you know what I mean he's, he's kind of not going to he'll give you like six out of ten five out of ten whereas Mkhitaryan's liable to give you a nine could give you a four or five mm. but like the way he played in the Europa League and the League Cup probably more liable to give you a nine at this stage like that's kind of how I see it but you said there about uh, him trying to kind of play every player he doesn't want to like mm. he wants to play like is that how football works you're supposed to give everyone a game yeah. like if this is not under 12 schoolboys yeah. like yeah. you don't have to give everyone a game you play your best team and yeah. I don't care like how you know what I mean if there's mm. players on the bench who are complaining then if you're winning who cares yeah, and I think there's a difference like as well like in playing because like, it's almost I think the problem is, is like sometimes it's Premier League team that's the best team and then the guys that we think because there's so many like if you look at just their say those attacking three that will play behind Ibrahimovic it goes like what Rooney Mkhitaryan Lingard Rashford Juan Mata like there's five or six of them Martial, Martial that constantly yeah. rotate and it's like but I think it's because it's so there's so much competition there that we actually don't know who's yeah, best three yeah. that are, are always playing there you know and it's 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 very up and down so like it is luckily there's so much talent there that he's got a choice but it's always like it's no matter what teams he plays sometimes it's underperforms and then it's yeah. complete and then when they do perform well it's just he chops it again it's just mm. it's hard to uh, it's hard to comprehend sometimes and I, I just want to go back to Mkhitaryan for a moment uh, during the week uh, Chris Sutton pointed us out and uh, Thierry Henry did something similar when he was talking about how Barcelona play uh Mkhitaryan, when he plays uh, with Ibrahimovic up front, Ibrahimovic has a tendency to pull back yeah. Yeah. and pull too deep. his whole career. And right? Mkhitaryan cuts into the middle and fills that centre forward role while Ibrahimovic yeah. is, is coming short. And that's, that's what United have been missing this year because they never had a link up when Ibra comes short. There was always that gap in the middle and Mkhitaryan fills that. And that's what he's used to doing from Borussia Dortmund because Borussia Dortmund play a similar pattern. Martial, even though he scored two goals last night, wasn't doing that. He mm. he was not doing that. He was staying out wide, and the two times that he actually got the goal was when he pulled in centre. And I think that's just something that he has to learn to do as he matures. Thierry Henry pointed out last year that that's what he should be doing. He should be coming in, starting out wide, but cutting inside, just as Mkhitaryan is doing, um, and that's how United will improve. Well, I'll also just just add on that, and Mkhitaryan is kind of an overlooked point and I'm not making excuses for the guys because like he's really starting to play some of his best football now especially just over the last week but he started the season very slow and yeah, we've seen him he's quite underwhelming in the Manchester derby um, a couple of weeks ago but he's, he's been dealing with a thigh injury for the last five or six weeks that he's battled through so I think he's only really over that yeah. now you know so I think it's I'd be interested to see now if if we can attribute a slow start of the season to the tie injury or if he's now just in a, in a purple patch and if Maybe. we continue this or not. It does take time to adjust though. We have to kind of take that into consideration. Yeah. I mean, there's so many players. I mean, look at, yeah, look at, uh, uh, who was it? Um, uh, Kagawa, Shinji Kagawa yeah, a couple of years ago. Exactly. You know, he was basically Bundesliga, one of the best players in the Bundesliga coming over and really struggled mm. to, to integrate. And I mean, the intensity of the Premier League is a lot higher than most teams. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what most people say when they come over. But just before we finish off of Man United, um, and former Bundesliga legend, you could call him, made his first appearance for United uh, this year he, after being blacked out completely. Bastian Schweinsteiger oh, yeah. came on for four minutes. At the end, he got a fantastic uh, 
the, the atmosphere just rose straight away. He got a fan, fantastic reception when he came on. Is this a sign that Mourinho's starting to ease up the the reins a little bit, starting to, or does uh, it mean that four Swine, minutes? Does it mean yeah, that Schweinsteiger's starting to starting to work? For me, harder? it's a bit of a kind of. For me, it's like the, he he could have like he needs to play five games a year in his yeah. contract. Like there's so the, it screams contractual clause there. Or uh, it kind of like a bit of oh the fans are on me back. Okay, got there's Schweinsteiger. Come on. Yeah, you know what I mean, kind <laughs> of like ah. Uh, look, I played twice. I played twice. Like, like you can't kind of a good will gesture, flack. a good will yeah, gesture, exactly. or, or maybe even just more like mental torture from radio. Like, I'm gonna <laughs> give you, I'm gonna give you four minutes and kind of give you into this sense of security that you might not get back. But yeah. realistically, I have no plan exactly for you at yeah. all. Well, he doesn't have a plan for him. He's, he's gone at the end of the year. You kind of yeah. wish they had him like five years. If they had him like four, four or five years ago. Yeah. Oh God, that would. Oh, completely. Like, and he's one of the he's of course he's one of the players. Wasn't quite linked to the Schneider Wesley Schneider level of rumors, no. but he was always one he of the players. He was always kind of yeah. So that was linked to United. Well, United have never really struggled with buying players, but one team that actually have struggled with buying players in the past few years is Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've brought in Mustafi and and Perez. Perez made his third appearance of the year. Yeah. Why, why have Why have Arsenal bought this player and not played him? Pretty interesting because I suppose with Giroud making that slow start coming back from the Euros, I think he was given a bit of an extended break, um, and they were still, you know, at the end of August, they were still trying to finalise bringing Perez in, um, and I think just even around then, it probably started really playing Sanchez as I suppose that false nine, yeah, um, experimenting with that and kind of you know somewhat slow in in that experiment, but that's really picked up in the last couple of weeks, and he's pretty much become one of the best strikers in the Premier League, so I think that's very much blocked. Perez getting into the starting side so yeah they spent how much did they spend on him bringing in 12 million I think he was around yeah so oh, not, 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 not the worst you know amount of money yeah, like this exactly. definitely Liverpool spent 16 on Balotelli a couple of years ago yeah. so you know 12 million is a drop in the ocean for, for Premier League teams now especially mm. the likes of Arsenal but um, it's it's hard to see him breaking in uh, ahead of Sanchez I can't see he's going to have to like really be electric in in whatever games he gets going forward mm. to really convince Wenger to putting Sanchez back on the wing yeah, yeah. and uh he he didn't set the set the world alight last night. No, Arsenal, I, I Arsenal. think that's the thing. He he hasn't really the performances he has put in. I mean, no one's really taken much notice of it. Yeah, mm. and yeah. Arsenal lost two 0 last night to Southampton in the in the League Cup. Uh, they didn't perform to their standards whatsoever. Southampton played them off the pitch. Southampton every year I say yeah. they've just improved and improved and improved, and they get rated by rated by Liverpool rated by different clubs and now they've even started taking their managers mm. but every year they seem to continue improving and this year they've done the same yeah they have a, they, they have that kind of that like some uh, lightning in a bottle kind of thing that like they're so they're steady now finally what intelligence in years you know what I mean like they're kind of finally the club is, is steady yeah and it's like okay you can take our manager okay you can take our players but we're still going to keep churning out these academy players we're still going to have a kind of an eye for a good manager and it's like they're going to keep improving, improving, improving it's done it every ten year. Ten straight years. Yeah, like it's just so. it's a decade's worth of just they have smart mm. people that are running the club. You know, the people on that board and the people think they constantly get new yeah. people. Like there's no fluke. They keep on getting. You know, when they Pochettino, they bring in Coleman. Coleman success. They bring in Claude cool, yeah. And you meant the players they've lost. You know, mm. Dejan Lovrens, Daniel Klein. 
uh, who else we have? Lallana, Lallana, Lambert, Ricky so Lambert. Guys. You know, I mean, I'm basically just going through Liverpool. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, but just just pretty much the state of, of how they've been. The, their transfer policy though is so it's so smart. I yeah, mean, I mean, they the, don't usually buy players, but when they do, it's oh, a smart buy. Like, I mean, they, yeah. they got Buffal was a yeah. record signing this year, and he's, he seems to be starting to Jose Font and, and Virgil oh, Van Dijk. He, he and, seems to be starting to just churn his way yeah. into the team, and Charlie Austin's Ch- banging. Oriel Romeo as well. Like, yeah. there's a player that nobody should really have looked at and thought yeah he could really make a difference for. I mean kind of didn't really do it at Chelsea went along to Valencia mm. didn't really do it there like I mean you kind of have to you have to know the game really well to kind of see a player like that and think yeah he could he has a place in our team he could really make a difference for us yeah. and in fairness he really has in that central because when they lost Wanyama it was like, yeah, Jeez, that's a big, that's a big hole in the in the, in the centre midfield there. Yeah, but Romeo's come in and it's almost been a seamless transition. Yeah, I mean, and Jack, you you said that they've they're smart people working for them. They didn't always have smart people no, working for they them. Didn't. No, because we're going to move on now to uh, a signing of Graham Sunis, uh, Ali Ja. Uh, you've obviously heard the story, guys. The biggest Two probably thousand. probably mm-hmm. the biggest buffer in in the all of football. Um, sport sporting history, perhaps. Sporting history, perhaps. Uh, what do you make of the whole situation? It's brilliant. It, it's it's like it just wouldn't happen these days, no. which is kind of sad. But it's it's just a great, it's a cracking story. The, 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 the soonest that, reaction makes yeah, it even better. The fact that he could just spoof his way to getting what is it? For, how many long did he play? He played like forty minutes or something. He played fifty four. Fifty four minutes. Yeah, like the way he could spoof his way to play fifty four minutes of a Premier League game, mm. and like I didn't even. I was saying to, like I think I was saying to you the other day, Jack. Like if you've played schoolboy football, if you played maybe up to about under 17s level. You know where to stand mostly. <laughs> yeah. If you're a striker, you know where to go. If you're a winger, you know go up there on the flanks. Whatever you're defending, yeah. you know. Yeah. Like Alija didn't just... know anything. Like frighteningly, <laughs> didn't know. Like, I mean, there's people like Paul Pogba that are giving a bit of you know. He's in a couple of sports, like a license to roam, yeah. you know. But I thought like <laughs> this guy just he it's gave it was a self license to roam. Uh, he just... I wonder when the penny dropped though for him. That he's like, whoa, I'm out of my depth here, boys. I wonder when that kind of no, hit. I like, don't think he did, or did it ever? No, has I, it don't, hit? I don't think it did. I, it it I hasn't hit just... because as um, Bleacher Report, uh, they they tracked him down. Fantastic get, article, by the way. Yeah, fantastic great article, and and. He he's, he continued to say that he he didn't think he was a fraud. He <laughs> thought he belonged in that pitch, and the the frightening thing about it is, is Graham Sunus is a pundit for Sky Sports now. This and TV train gets uh, paid to talk yeah, for a living. This Great player. This guy, <laughs> this guy trained with Southampton for three weeks, and he still managed yeah. to get into the starting yeah, lineup. That's bad. Or not not starting lineup. Sorry, he came on as a substitute. Uh, I mean, surely that shouts. I do not know what I'm doing as a manager. I mean, I know, I know. You can say there's injuries, and there was, it was obviously a bad situation at Southampton at that point. But to not be able to see that this player, yeah, is not as, good enough. Soonest doesn't come out of this great, does he? No. Like, I mean, he's he's declines to comment on the on the story. Even yeah. he said twenty years after, and the post match comments after the game was saying, you know, this is this this is basic. I'm paraphrasing here, but this is basically the state of affairs at the club. If a player like Ali Jacket is getting on. And you know I haven't even seen him play. So Ali Jar is saying he's been training at the club for weeks, and Sunas has said he's never, never even played. It. And yeah. Ali Jar is saying that, um, what you call it, uh, that Sunas basically came up to him the day before the game and told him you're going to be in tomorrow. You know he's impressed by my training and he scored two or three goals in a practice match. It's like there's someone lying here. E- either, e- either way, Sunas looks bad. Sunas, yeah, there's no way Sunas yeah. looks good in this. But exactly. um, it's either Ali Jar is. As the, the the popular chant goes, Ali Dia is a liar, is a liar. Yeah. Um, that's either really coming to play here, or uh, Sunis is you know 
He's trying to save some face. Yeah, because one is like, one is I don't watch my team train. Yes. And the other is I do watch my team train train. and I don't know who's useless and who's not. (laughs) So it's like a catch-22 for poor Graham. Like, he's in trouble. It's not a good, it's it's, it's just not a good situation for somebody of his position to be in anyway. But, uh, or Gavin O'Callaghan, producer of uh, Action Replay Extra Time, caught up with uh, Bleacher Report about, about this story and let's hear what they have to say. And now on to one of the most infamous stories in football history, largely claimed the biggest con man in the Premier League, Ali Dia has not been traced for 20 years since he managed to play 54 minutes for Southampton in a 2-0 loss to Leeds back in 1996. That is, until last week when Bleacher Report released a piece entitled Finding Ali Dia and managed to get his side of that controversial story. On the line we have writer for that article, Kelly Naki, who set out with a team to Senegal where she met Ali's mother and France where his son is currently playing football. Okay, um, yeah, just before we get started, um, is it Kelly Naki? How do you yes. pronounce your second? Naki, that's the way of pronouncing Naki, it's like, it's like hockey except with an N in front. Okay, that's brilliant. Right, so first of all, Kelly, why this story? Um, how did the idea come about? Because I'd imagine the Bleacher Report cover an awful lot of things. How did somebody managed to convince them that finding Ali Dia was a story that was worth chasing? Uh, actually, Will Tidy, who is the uh, special projects manager, he's been obsessed with this story. So <laughs> he was the one that assigned me to it. Um, they did a story about a year ago um, when he still couldn't be found. And since this was the 20th anniversary of the day that, well, when it, when it was published, obviously, last yeah. week, the 20th anniversary of the day when he appeared in the game, you know, he said, 20th anniversary, find him. We've had 20 years where we didn't know where he is, so your job is to find him. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you how did you convince the financing department to get on board with this, or did somebody have to? Yeah, no, they, uh, what he did was he said, how much would it cost to find him? And I said, uh, well, you mean how much would it cost to try to find him? Uh, and so... <laughs> You know, honestly, I had reached out to uh, every sports agent in France because I had heard that he was in France and that was the the warmest Mm. place where we had last heard. Then I heard Saudi Arabia. Then I thought, you know, uh, I'm going to go to where he was born and where he grew up. And, you know, usually people, you can find a person or two there or maybe some family there who would be able to help put you in touch. And that's, that's exactly what happened. So I, I budgeted a trip for uh, Africa and then um, a little bit more just in case I had to go somewhere else. And sure enough, I had to go to France. So um, yeah. And they, but they honestly, you know what they had in their mind, we know this would be a a niche story that would be interesting to our audience. And uh, so go for it. And well, why why do you yourself why do you think Dia was so hard to find? Um, I don't know that he was intentionally hiding per se. Uh, I, uh, you know, he he to be candid with you on Facebook, there there are tons. He has a very very common name, um, and then because his name was misspelled by the media to begin with. Uh, you know, it was A-L-I instead of A-L-Y. Um, and maybe if people were talking to people and trying to find him, you know, the pronunciation of his last name is, is Ja. It's not Dia. So it's Ali Ja. Yeah. And so um, that could have been uh, an issue. People from Senegal know 
when people would say Daya or Dia, they, they meant Ja. Um, but there are so many Ali Jaws on Facebook. Um, and the guy, it's not like he's a public figure, right? So, uh, you know, and, and he spent a lot of his time living in, in, in Qatar, which, you know, obviously there's not a lot of media around that area searching for him. So uh, I think people just in London and, and France, they just maybe thought, because France was the last place they had heard that he lived with his wife, they probably focused their, their search there. And quite candidly, um, <clears throat> how I really felt comfortable going to Dakar was um, I went into some of their sports websites and, and some of their articles that were recycled from English-speaking papers and websites that they would publish there. And I would go, thank God for Google Translate, I would just (laughs) go into the comments section and translate every single comment. And there was one one or two particular commenters who were anonymous, but they said, yeah, his dad used to work for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and this is all in in (laughs) Wolof, mind you, but uh, he worked for the Ministry of foreign affairs and he went to school with Momar Jang and um, Augustine Senghor who I thought well that's the guy he's the president of the Senegalese football association so these are very specific things that people are writing so I thought you know I I bet you this is true so literally I said to Bleacher Report look I've got he, he supposedly lived in Jopal, which is an area of, of Dakar. And I said, you know, there are two people who he supposedly went to class with, and I was able to get their phone numbers. I said, that. so this is a starting point. And they said, you know what? Find him. <laughs> so uh, I can't really answer why. I think he fell off the radar in large part because he moved to Qatar, quite frankly. And I don't think a lot of people were looking for him we're there. trying that you know? out. Um, just before I get into like the details of exactly what you found out when you eventually tracked him down, um, how many people were involved in this project in total? Um, well, there was myself and Will, who I would you know send daily update reports to. I had a, a fixer named uh, Sharif, who lives in uh, Dakar, who is also a journalist. So that was very helpful because you know he knew the types of things I would be looking for when writing my story. Um, there was a driver; uh, he drove us around, um, and I think that's pretty much it. There was a gentleman, uh, Sean, from the art department in Bleacher Report, yeah. who uh, helped coordinate the artwork. But uh, it was us. Oh, okay. <laughs> and um, okay, I suppose we'll just we'll just get into it. You. Obviously, you you managed to trace down his mother, and there was one thing I noticed that she she maintained um, the George Weah connection, and like although you couldn't get a contact with George Weah to verify any of this, are you still a little bit skeptical about that claim, or do you feel like the question has been answered? No, I don't feel like the question's been answered ever until I I talked to George Weah, um, and I tried independently uh, when you mentioned his mom had said that he knew George Weah. Yeah. Also, I spoke with Sophie, his sister, who lives in Paris while I was in Paris. Yeah. Um, and I should say, I didn't speak to her. Mamadou from the executive lounge at the Marriott, who I forced him to talk to her as I was typing my story at a computer there. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, 
he happened to be from, he made the mistake of casually telling me he was from Dakar. And I'm like, oh, good, you're going to make some phone calls for me. (laughs) (laughs) And you're going to translate for me. So um, uh, his sister said, absolutely, Uh, she's good friends with George. And uh, so I asked him again, as we were translating back and forth, I said, you know, could you give us George's number? And she said, you know, I'll call him and see if he'll let you have his number um and then she never got back to me and i i tried to reach him he's in liberia um i was unable to reach him but no i don't feel honestly there there are two things that were intriguing to me is is the george way connection uh you know what did george know about the story did he ever say he did or did not know ali um because that was part of the yeah, that added to the whole mystery of is he a liar or not? Did he pretend he was George Weah's cousin, and then George Weah evidently was tracked down and said um. he didn't even know the guy? <laughs> um, so I would like to know if that's true. The other thing is, uh, Ali said he played for the second tier club of Paris Saint Germain, and mm. um, so there was somebody who's checking on that. And the the question is, what second tier club is that? Reserves. Um, is it there? There was a team called the Red Stars who was affiliated with Paris mm. Saint Germain. Um, you know, again, we're talking back in the '80s, so things were a little different yeah. in terms of of the leagues, uh, from what I understand. And so, uh, at the end of the day, if there's no documentation that can point to him actually playing, or that can't be proven independently of him saying it. Mm. Um, then yeah, I'm skeptical. I, I I just liked to hear for the first time his side of the story, and uh, we're trying to figure out if what he said is true. Uh, we're still in the process of doing that as much as we can with documentation. But um, I, I found it interesting that he he is as adamant today as he was 20 <laughs> years ago in in representing himself. Yeah, that was that was actually going to be my next question. So just regarding the like when you eventually got the phone call from Dia himself he told you that he did play for PSG for from 86 to 88 there is you couldn't find records of this being true so it's um he said he played for their second tier team oh okay which is not their first it's not league one yeah and um they're still looking Paris Saint-Germain is they're still looking to see that's what I was describing what's the second tier yeah. team is that the reserve team is it an affiliate team um, I am unfamiliar with French football, um, and I'm trying to get to the bottom of that through another colleague of mine who's working on that in France because um, he speaks French and I don't. And he's working with the team on trying to get that information. Um, you know, a lot of the problem, and I'm sure you know, you know this as well. Records don't necessarily go back that far. Yeah. People tend to discard records after you know a couple of decades. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, we're talking, you know, mid '80s. That was, uh, dare I say it, that was when I graduated from college. So yeah. that's a long time ago. <laughs> well, I'd imagine. I so, think because he claimed to have helped them win a cup in '87. There's no even record of that cup-winning team, or the Paris Cup. Yeah. Oh, there are records of the Paris Cup. The question is whether he's on that team. Oh, okay. There are records of that, though. Yeah, but he's he's yet to be found in that team yet. We so it's is it would you say it's too early to say that that fact is true or false or would you see I, I need to a bit I skeptical need to know definitively see the the, the problem yeah. is is 
And here's the scoop, too. You, I mean, I'm talking to you from London now. Yeah. Um, the question is getting those records in, in France. Um, absolutely doable, but takes, takes a bit of time. I, uh, you know, I, I don't go for the, you know, he told me this, so it's true. I'm a big fan journalistically of documentation and, and second sources. And uh, so, yeah. you know, we're, he called me two days before the story was published. <laughs> so there was, uh, we tried to get into motion. Obviously, we were trying to reach Graham Sunis, who is the manager of Southampton, and we were trying to get information from Paris Saint-Germain and um, follow up on as much as we could as quickly as, he, as we could. But it, it happened pretty quickly. And you didn't manage to get in contact with Graham Sunis, or was he a little bit reluctant? Because obviously at the time, no, he I, I said tried. a lot of things that were disputed by Dia. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I'm going to force you to say his name is Ja, remember? So it's yeah, Ali Ja. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, know I all, keep thinking Dia because... I him Dia yeah. for so long. It's <laughs> in your brain, right? Yeah. Well, um, I even read that it was Ja, but I was like, I better keep saying Dia, or maybe people listening won't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> um. Yeah, I called a number that supposedly was his cell, but you know, people can change their cell numbers, but I got it I got it from a pretty good source. And then I also reached out to the his agent, the people who represent him. Yeah. And uh uh they said they'd get back to me if he was interested and I called a couple of times and they didn't, you know, respond mm-hmm. and I just I just intuited that to be he's not interested. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, he could he could answer some questions, obviously as well. Yeah, I guess like one thing we can't argue is um like Ja was quite secretive about his antics, like even to his family. Do you feel like there was a lot of things that his mother wouldn't have, just didn't know was going on that he may have told yeah, you later yeah, or, you know, but or I vice think versa? That and did that blur the lines for you a little? It's a uh, no, no. I think it's a family dynamic. You know, his mom wanted him to study medicine, like yeah. many, you know many moms, right? They want, they want their sons to be doctors or lawyers in their mind, particularly culturally. Um, mm. You know, she just wanted him to study medicine. She wanted him to be a doctor. And that was her focus for him. And um, she literally did not, and I mentioned this, I made reference to this in the story, even though she heard what a great player he was in Dakar, she refused to attend any of his matches because she didn't want that to be perceived as support for him playing football she just wanted him to study and so when he didn't mention that stuff I mean here's the thing that I I found very interesting and I sort of uh I liked about this about his parents uh because culturally him telling them they leave him in Paris you know they brought him to Paris when his dad was a diplomat there and uh, they left him in Paris and went back to Dakar so he could study. He could focus on his studies in France. And after two years of, you know, doing his studies, he was seeing his dream. Obviously, you know, you're, now you're in your late 20s. You know, you're losing your athletic ability. Um, and, and he just wanted to make sure that he had a chance to truly pursue his dream of playing professional football, whether or not he was good enough or not. He just wanted to give it his all. And for two years, he went to university. Didn't His heart wasn't in it. He did it to please his parents. And then finally, he just said to his parents, you know what? I, I, I'm going to try to play pro football. And uh, to their credit, 
they said okay. And I know that, you know, you and I might mm-hmm. think, well, big deal, he's 28, why can't he would he do what he wants? But, you know, culturally, um, that's a big deal. Uh, I'm married to a Muslim, I'm familiar with their culture. Um, and it's a very big deal to uh, not do what your parents want you to do <laughs> and uh, break away. But, you know, he uh, he just wanted to be able to, at the end of the day, when he looked back on his life, say, not have regrets and say, at yeah. least I gave it a try, you know? And, and one thing his dad said, I thought it was really cute. He said, uh, and he always sent money back from his football earnings. Um, and a lot of young men uh, from Senegal, including the guy Mamadou that I told you that I uh, yeah. had made the phone calls to um, Ali's sister, Sophie, and another one, Amina, who, who didn't make the story, but... Uh, he sends money back to his family. It's a very, it's a cultural thing. You share what you have. And, you know, if your sister or your sister's kids need something, or even if they don't, you know, it's it's considered greedy to keep keep it to yourself and keep all your money for yourself. You share. And so um, he, even though his parents didn't need the money, he sent back every month, he sent a portion of his football salary, no matter what level he was playing at, to his family. And that made his dad proud, you know, <laughs> but uh, no, the, the secretiveness of it, I think it's part of the dysfunction of the family and how every mm. family has a bit of dysfunction. I, I think that it was more that um, than anything else. And do you feel um, do you feel like he might have been a little bit delusional as well or like the way he's it, like the way the article kind of perpetuates that so he, he truly believed seemed to truly believe he was up to the standards. But, you know. Yeah, and he you know, doesn't consider I himself him a con play. man, I guess. Yeah, is I, I have no clue if he was terrible. It seems he wasn't very good, clearly, because he wasn't kept around, and Sunis didn't think he was any good, and mm. you know, his teammates didn't think he was any good. So, um, you know, I I like, didn't see uh, the the film. I'm not a expert at judging football yeah. talent. I um, suppose the I suppose like a better way of maybe wording this question would be like a lot of I suppose a lot in a lot of people's memory now he was a complete amateur who somehow conned right. his way onto the pitch. Was yeah. he really like the complete amateur people remember him or would he have a like how much footballing pedigree would he have had that that's verified I guess. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I will tell you this. So Matty Tory who runs a youth academy in Senegal, and he's sent a yeah. couple of people uh, to the Premier League. Um, he said he was really good and he had the talent. He just didn't have the discipline when he was younger. He just liked to party too much, basically. Um, and, you know, the Momar Jang, who is uh, his former classmate, who's a journalist, he also thought he was really talented. Um as I mentioned in the article, his parents said somewhere along the way there was an injury that required an operation. I wonder if that just forever altered his potential professional path, you know. Um, but I don't know the answer if if he was any if he was ever any good <laughs> enough to even consider it. Um, but I mean, I can tell you the guy tried for years to do it, you know, and he was really uh, determined to give it every shot he could. Um, And and one thing, I don't know if this surprised you in the article, it really surprised me that his son thought that his father did something shady to get on the team. Yeah, actually that that was what I was going to ask you next, is that his son did say he thinks he could completely see his dad making the phone call pretending to be George Weah. 
What What do you believe? Uh, I have no idea, obviously. <laughs> I just love presenting all sides of the story. And, yeah. and when the son said that, I was completely shocked. And he he thought I was really funny, too. That was the, the odd thing. is like he just thought, he's like, I, I read this crazy thing. And his son spoke French, so that was, you mm. know, translated. But, uh, and again, the family not ever talking about it, right? His son just happened upon this information four or five years ago while he was on the Internet. And... Uh, <laughs> He, he thought it was crazy funny, uh, and he's like, yeah, I could see it. And he had zero shame about this being his father or being related to him. He's like, this doesn't have anything to do with me. Um, but uh, all I, I, I'm reading that. I wrote it exactly as it happened, mm. um, and I find it very interesting, uh, and I don't know what to make of it. Again, my 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 biggest things are if there's – if there's a way to nail down about <laughs> playing for the second tier team in Paris Saint-Germain or being winning the Paris Cup, if that did not happen and we can nail that down, then I think that people can make a pretty solid assessment at that point. Yeah. So, um, okay, if, I suppose final question really before we'll wrap things up. Um, will there be any follow-up now or do you think, do you think the story will be finally put to rest soon? Well, it's a meeting with uh, Will Tidy, the uh, the guy at Bleacher Report, yeah. the uh, manager of special projects, on Wednesday, um, and we'll see. We'll see what what he wants to do. My my guess is uh, he had a hunch. I mean, this was his baby all the way in terms yeah. of I want to get this story done. So my sense is is that there'll be a follow up. Okay, brilliant. That's what I want to hear anyway. Yay. <laughs> right, Kelly, thanks very much. Um, you can follow Kelly Naki at Kelly Naki UK on Twitter. I have a feeling you just made that Twitter page as this story. Oh my broke. gosh, Am I, I made right? it the morning that the story came out. <laughs> I did. I know. I'm not, I wasn't a big Twitter guy. I, I, I don't like to feel pressure to put yeah. stuff out. People are prolific. Are you on Twitter? Do you like I, do, I follow I'm you like, on Twitter. Oh, God. I, okay, I, now I feel even I'm more. I'm one pressure. of your 78 followers. Oh, God. Well, let's make it 79 by the time this radio show is over. How about that? <laughs> Hopefully, I have we'll very see. high goals. I'll keep an eye on it, see if we can boost your profile. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Thanks very much, Kelly. It was great to have you on. All right. Take care. All right. I'm, I'm not afraid to tell you. I'm a player. I can prove that. I'm going to prove that. Coming in summer 1996, Walt Disney presents, in a world of hot shots and big-name ballers, one untalented man set on about achieving his dream of becoming a Premier League footballer. And, as it turns out, being a Premier League footballer with no talent is much easier than it looks. Starring George Weah, George Weah's cousin, Graham Souness, and Harry Redknapp. The Ali Dia story. Played with George Weah at Paris Saint-Germain and the last year he was playing in the second division in Germany. Still amazed, I think everybody's amazed that he got that far. Next thing I knew, uh, I was watching him on Match of the Day and watched him playing for Southampton, which was pretty unbelievable at the time. It was unbelievable. He ran around the pitch like Bambi on ice. The Ali Dia story in cinema soon.